Sonic States. So, uh, hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 57. We're approaching 60. Um, I suppose that should be good. That usually means retirement, but it doesn't mean retirement in uh, in this case. Uh, 57 channels and nothing on is a song by Bruce Springsteen from his 1992 album Touch. But more importantly, my favourite is Heinz 57, which is obviously baked beans. And I don't know if everybody throughout the world gets those, but uh, my daughter certainly eats a lot of them. Anyway, um, let's see. Who have we got this week? We've got, uh, first up, let's say hello to PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Uh, good morning, Nick. How Thanks you for having me. you sounding fresh as a daisy. You been up for long? I have been up for a couple of hours. I've had a couple of cups of coffee, and I switched on the Phantom Power, so things are all, all good on I'm, this end. I'm really glad to hear that. And uh, also back from uh, a bit of a break, a long holiday, and uh, we couldn't quite squeeze him in last week, is non-Eric from Berlin. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. We had a great thunderstorm here today. Ooh. Oh, well, that's kind of quite exciting, I suppose. I like thunderstorms, actually, they, apart from when I've got sensitive electrical music equipment plugged in. Yeah, and, and not in the summer, do you? Um, yeah, well, I, I think summer is a word that's best forgotten for this year. It hasn't really kind of happened. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, shame. Shame, but that's the way it goes. So, Hans, what have you been doing um, in, the, in the time? You, uh, you went on holiday? Yes, I was on the holiday, but I had a chance during my holiday to visit the Waldorf in Waldorf, and uh, I was able to do a very nice podcast on the new Blofeld. Actually, it's still a pre-release version, but really, really sounding very well sounding unit. Really oh, nice. Yes, I had you pointed me that I had a, had a look at those podcasts. It does look very good, actually. Some really nice interface touches. I thought. Yeah. And cheap. It's going to be about 400 euro. No, that's not bad. Which is about what? About a million dollars still, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, $400. Uh, no, $500. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's not bad then. They've got a good exchange rate. Maybe it's just the pound that's suffering. Well, anyway, um, we'll move on to Mark Tinley, who's been pa- patiently waiting. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello. Not too bad. Uh, I hate saying that. Hello, I'm very well. Uh, You're very well. I'm very glad to hear that, Mark. I forgot to mention, of course, um, you can see um, non-Eric's podcast at musotalk.de. Thanks, Nick. That's all right. And you can see Mark's Mark's podcasts at, um, what's your MySpace address, Mark? MySpace.com backslash Mark Tinley, all one word, all small letters. There you go. We can see what you're If you do a search in the iTunes music store, in the podcast section for Mark Tinley. In fact, if you do a search in the iTunes Music Store for Mark Tinley, you'll find uh, my classic motorcycling podcast, and I just updated it and put a new episode in there, actually. Oh, I look forward to that. And, of course, Dave Spears from uh, GeForce Software. Hello. In sunny, where is it, Reading? Sort of almost Reading, isn't it, in the UK? Yeah, yeah, not sunny, grey. Grey, okay. (laughs) Good job your office hasn't got any windows, eh? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Did I hear you say that you'd sent off um, the analog string machine for Goldmaster? Yeah, been duplicated now. So. Ah, that must be a great load off. Or is that just the ner- nerve-wracking bit because you think, oh, God, I hope there's nothing else because you're having it duplicated? Mi- mixture of both, but at least it means we've got a few weeks of uh, peace. Well, relative peace. Oh, I see. So I, I imagine that uh, M-Audio will be on to you and uh, asking who you want to direct the uh, the TV ad and stuff like that, will they? Uh, probably, yeah. Thankfully, I don't deal with any of that. So. Good morning, Richard Hilton, also uh, joining us uh, from Connecticut. I don't know if you're having any sort of summer there, but uh, as we're 
prone to moan about our own one, I thought I'd at least maybe experience yours by proxy. Is it nice there? Uh, it's a little England-like right now, but it's not bad. Oh, right. Well, I feel we're, we're all sort of unified and at one <laughs> over the magic wires of Skype, which incidentally has been, uh, has been playing up terribly. I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to do the podcast this week because, uh, as everybody knows, or perhaps they don't if you don't use Skype any other time, it's been off, just down from thursday to saturday it was crazy yeah do you know what caused it they say apparently what caused it was um there was some sort of windows update that caused loads of machines to reboot and they all tried to log in over a sort of a period of time that kind of just brought the skype sort of self-healing network algorithm down it sounds a bit implausible but Hey. Absolutely rubbish, I guess. But it, it's always <laughs> great to blame something on Microsoft because they are, you know, a great scapegoat. Exactly. I thought that, <laughs> exactly. We all like to have a go, and I thought that was a that was done with a plum, wasn't it? Do you know what that was, folks? Yeah, it sounds like uh, some kind of THX Dolby audio thing at the beginning of a movie. Uh, well, I suppose it could be. Um, what that was was a sort of leaked YouTube video of uh, the new synthesizer from Dave Smith, who seems to have had a sort of productivity boost in the last 18 months. It's all that coffee he's drinking with those other guys. Do you think that's what it is? But he's just yeah. <laughs> announced, and not only is he announced, he's announced and is already shipping a synthesizer called the Prophet 8 which is obviously, cool. uh, um, you know, it's kind of based upon the architecture and the concept of his original Prophet synthesizers that were, you know, so legendary. Uh, and that was basically the teaser. Uh, it's an eight voice. Let me just uh, read what I have on it. It's a stereo in- instrument with a classic two oscillator, two and four pole resonant Curtis low pass filter and VCA architecture, 52 knobs to tweak. But it goes well beyond the original Prophet with four LFOs, three envelopes and gated sequencer per voice. Each voice has two layers, so you can be stacked or split. Four mode, blah blah. blah. Five octave keyboard. You know, it's it's uh, it looking it's looking kind of quite a good one. Uh, my customers told me they wanted a pure analog synth to complement our Evolver and Polyevolver synths. Says Dave, this is the monster synth they have been waiting for, retaining the classic sound while adding a host of new features unavailable on the originals. And what's more, it's only it's, well, only I say only it's two thousand two hundred dollars. Which, when you consider wow. the exchange rate in the UK and Europe, that is a bargain because that's going to cost you about thousand pounds. Which, for an eight voice analog synthesizer with Curtis chips, that is pretty. <laughs> it's pretty hot stuff, wouldn't you say? Mm. I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm young. I think oh, yeah. I have one of those. Yeah, I have two. Uh, I would like one. So, Rich, uh, are you a profit man, or is that something you'd be interested in? Uh, it is very much something I'd be interested in. It looks beautiful. I wonder, and it, this is an absolute nitpick here, but does anybody really like having the wheels up there on the panel with the rest of the controls? Um, not particularly, and I think that's a criticism that seems to have been sort of voiced on a couple of uh, you know blog posts, uh, particularly Matrix Synth, where I first saw a picture of this. I don't care. I can't play the keyboard very well anyway. So it makes no difference to me whatsoever. It's just a bit of a reach for somebody who uses those wheels. But, uh, I mean, aside from that, it looks outstanding, and that wouldn't be a deal-breaker for me. Yeah. So do you think you'll be uh, looking to, to get hold of one of those for your analog arsenal? 
I don't know. Maybe there's a friend, a very good friend of mine, uh, who's been trying to talk me into a poly evolver for quite some time now, and I'm more tempted to lean in that direction than uh, the profit. Uh, is that because it's got it's got a bit of sort of digital stuff in there as well, and it's ca- capable of some pretty wacky sounds? The poly evolver, maybe that's going to swing it. Yeah, it just seems like an outstanding instrument, and it sounds great. And uh, I really do understand. I- I don't keep a lot of hardware sense around anymore, I have to admit. I'm sure that'll make Dave very happy. <laughs> Dave, I do. <laughs> do you are, yes. <laughs> Hi, Dave. I, uh, I do, mate. I do keep a lot of hardware sense around, actually. And will this be a sort of synth that you might be interested in keeping around? Yes, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Especially at that price. Blimey. Have you got any profits? Because, I mean, it's one of those things that you either seem to be a profit guy or maybe a Jupiter guy. Do you know what I mean? There doesn't seem to, or, or maybe an Oberheim guy. You don't necessarily, um, have all of them. Yeah, no, I've, I've owned a, I owned a profit back in the day. Um, and weirdly enough, sold it for a Jupiter eight and then sold that for something else and sold that. But that was just, you know, cause everything was so expensive. Then you could, you had to sell something to get the next thing. I think I sold the Jupiter eight to get the DX seven. Oh, Dave. Oh my yeah. God. Don't, don't, don't admit to that. <laughs> The mistakes we make, eh? Yeah, well, you, you've got to work, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, but I do have... A, I've got a lot of Oberheims, um, and this this just seems, like, spot on. And that sounded raucous and rough, and I can't wait, actually. Mm, I'm not really very familiar with the Profit stuff. I know uh, uh, Will, um, Goldfrapp Will, has got a Profit 10, which I've... Uh, lo- I remember when I first got into synthesizers, that was, like, the... It was the sort of the thing at the top of the mountain was the most amazing synthesizer you could possibly own. And I have a little play with that, and it was quite good fun. But I'm not really, I'm not really that familiar with the architecture. Hans, how about you? Does profits? Um, have you profited? No, from pro- I'm an Oberheim man more than profits. I've never had one. It's got to be a smart move because it uses the profit name, which is obviously kind of a fairly major brand in terms of synth. I would imagine he's pretty much onto a winner there because he's the guy who did the first profit, and now he's doing another one. So. He must be able to, hopefully, um, make a make a decent amount of money out of this and sort of fund some more exciting projects as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the uh, the the broomstick. No, what was it called? Boom, the drumstick. Boomstick. Boom yeah, he's boom doing chick. that with Roger, Roger Lynn. It's a sort of MPC yeah. based. Yeah, I'm a big MPC fan. I, I spend about eight years doing all my records just with an MPC as the drum sampler and the MIDI sequencer as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think, hundreds, uh, hundreds of techno and dance records. So it was you, oh, was it? Yeah, it had a great groove. I loved the groove. I had a timing problem with 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 all the MIDI related computer stuff, and yeah. that's why I got in got so heavily into the MPC because it had four discrete MIDI outputs and a very great groove and timing. And so I really had to live with the the minimal editing possibilities, but it was worth it. But now, I'm, um, since all of the VST stuff is so accurate within the machines, I've moved to a virtual setup only. Mark, how about you? Are you, uh, are you familiar with any of the profit stuff? I mean, is this going to be something you'd be excited by? It is, yes, it is. Um, when I first started working with Durandran, um, I was a person who'd only really used sort of Roland and Oberheim and, you know, the, I, I don't know, Profit was very different. Nick Nick had a Profit and it sort of arrived in Paris and I looked at it and 
try to work out how to use it. And it, it just works in a completely different way, I think, to the yeah. Roland ones. It's much less obvious, and you have to be much cleverer and much more adept at fine-tuning it to make it make anything that sounds uh, like a normal sort of sound, I suppose, or anything I would be used to come, hearing come from a synthesizer. But once you've figured it out, I think it's a really cool thing to have. And the fact that it is so different to the Roland uh, makes it really cool as well. The thing I noticed about Nick's Prophet 5 is that he painted the end cheeks black because he couldn't stand the wooden facing on it. So. Ah, well, this, this, this one's going to have wooden facing, I believe, but... Uh... We'll have he's, to see. Got, he's got a Prophet 5 and a Jupiter 8, and they are his main keyboards that he makes his own sounds with. Right. When, I'm not program, when I'm not programming for him, he basically uses those to create stuff. Polysynth kind of guy. PJ, have you, uh, is that something you're... What, are, you, are you excited by the Prophet prospect? I think it sounds fantastic. Um, but I think if I was going to throw my my money towards an analog synthesizer right now, I would go with the Moog Voyager. Really? Even though it's yep. a mono? Yep. I just I just love that sound. Well, that's fair Just the, the thought of doing, uh, you know, funkadelic synth bass lines off the Moog Voyager is just, wow. It's more than you can bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Rich and, and most of the others, I, I don't keep a lot of analog synthesizers around anymore. But I'm considering changing that. I, I might move into a new space sometime in the next six months, and when I have a little more space, I'd start to like. Uh, I'd like to start collecting them again. Yeah, it's funny that I mean because we've just moved offices. Although uh, I'm actually still in the old office because the net connection isn't up there, and I moved all my keyboards and stuff over to there, and it was kind of they're all piled up against the wall. But there is a bit more room for them, so I might uh, I might sort of wheel them out and use them for backdrops of various reviews or whatever. But uh, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't me who carried the fen- the 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 Wurlitzer up the eight flights of stairs because it's a listed building in Bath. They can't put a lift in or anything. So you know. Oh, I don't envy flights, that job. Eight flights of stairs. I, I and I I left this morning because I had to bring a lead over to the new office to make sure I could do the podcast. And uh, I got halfway through town and realised I'd forgotten something, so I had to go all the way back up again. So God. I think it's going to start honing my mind. It might sort of like sharpen my senses a little bit because of the consequences of leaving something behind are quite dire. I think there's a law in this country against eight-flight walk-ups. I dare say. It would, it would put, us, <laughs> put us in far too good shape over here. I think yeah. my, I think my uh, gluteinous maximus is going to be very well developed over the next uh, coming weeks and months. Ahem. Ahem, yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, the Prophet 8 from Dave Smith Instruments, um, he says in a press release he sent to me last night... Um, it's shipping now, which is quite a remarkable achievement to have actually got that out without anybody finding out until only last week. So, uh, yeah, good for mm-hmm. him. Uh, Hans, uh, you have some news, um, I believe, about uh, Apple's forthcoming Logic release. We thought it was mythical. Is it mythical or is there something in it? I think there's got to be something in it, but um, there was a rumour that there was supposed to be a news yesterday because apparently the rumor is that they had a target date, which was, yes, I think, yesterday, for a release, a press release, but obviously they didn't make it. But I've heard a little bird told me that another bird was sitting set in front of, of Logic 8 for 30 minutes, and I heard some stuff about it. Uh, some of it was uh, that it's a one-window uh, user interface this time, 
Right. With a, with a kind of a, on the left side supposed to be a browser like we know from Ableton and from Native Instruments mm. stuff. Yeah, they have a edit area like Ableton has at the bottom of the of the main page. Yeah, and the other thing that's supposed to be really really cool is that they um, have kind of a, a floating uh, plugins do float on top of the arrangement in a transparent way. Okay. So if you can switch, if you switch to the plugin, then the the arrangement becomes transparent and is in the background, so you can still monitor the 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 the, um, the arrangement right. and and vice versa. So you you always see both, and if it, if the plug is on bypass, it becomes even more transparent, and if it's on, it becomes a little bit upfront, and that seems to be a. And I was told it was supposed to be a really really good workflow, and the the sound's supposed to be really really amazing. Hmm. What? So the, is this the kind of the, the the kind of reworked audio engine talk that there has been? Is that uh, something that? Yeah, yeah. And everything is surround. So all the plugins, like the structures and surround and everything, and supposedly also still works on G fives. Huh. I'm, I don't know how I feel about a kind of one window edit scenario. Is that is that something that is 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 that a good thing? Oh well, I, I did a review on the Trekky uh, Traction from Mackie yeah. recently, and I really got to like it. And I'm actually uh, I must say I'm using it right now for my stuff because it's got a really, really great sounding uh, sound engine, mix engine, and it's ama- uh, it's a, like a, a product that m- most professionals never would touch. But it's I- incredible because they also have a 64-bit mix engine, and we did some testing here um, side by side, and apparently. Apparently, it actually does. It's the only host software that actually receives a 32-bit floating point signal from the Matrix Halo audio interface. Because uh, Core Audio is actually capable of transmitting the, 30, the full 32-bit floating point data, but most um, hardware units, interfaces, and most host applications don't deal with them. They just use the 24-bit. But when you record interaction with the Matrix Halo, you can see it also says 32-bit recording. And uh, what, what happens is if you record, for example, a saxophone in a room, you can really hear that there's a lot more ambience still there in the recording than doing that with Logic or with Cubase. And it's great. So I suppose the 64-bit engine is a, is a way of the future and it's going to make a difference. Right, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I suppose the thing that makes me kind of slightly sceptical is if you're in a one-window situation. I mean, I don't use Ableton Live, I don't use Traction, I don't use any one-window kind of solution. So uh, it might uh, just be an interesting, because a lot of people use screen sets within Logic, which are kind of modifications of the workplace, aren't they? And I just wonder how... Um, how intuitive that that leap might be. I mean, presumably they probably have included a sort of make it like the old style as well, because they usually do that sort of thing, but maybe not. They didn't do that between Notator SL and Logic, did they? <laughs> no, that's very true. But I suppose I suppose you know it's the old uh, old farts like me who probably uh, aren't going to contribute very much to to the the sort of march of the user interface development. But um, maybe. Um, you know, there's lots of people who are so used to working a certain way and it's just, you know, anything that slows their workflow down, if they're professional and are working on ongoing projects, might find this to be a hindrance. But, I mean, this is all total speculation because obviously I haven't seen it and Hans has 
have not seen it either. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's just a rumor, but it could be true. And I, I guess what they've done is obvious. I mean, they've looked at everything that's out there and probably picked the best bits and put yeah. in their new software. Uh, any of you guys kind of enjoy the one window experience or is it you prefer to have it more sort of discreet? Depends what I'm doing. I, I use Pro Tools as a one-window application. I never bother to open the mixer in a separate page, and I do all my mixing from from that front page. Right. But, uh, if I'm using Logic, I use Windows Windows all over the place. So. Yeah, yeah. PJ, you, I don't know. You're um, you're more PC based. Have you got how how do you find the multi-window approach, or you would you be pleased to have a single window kind of interface? Yeah, I like um, I like Ableton Live. I use it alongside of Cubase. Those are my two uh, main axes right now. Cubase being my primary sequencer. Um, I like the one window approach. I I tried to get into Mackie Traction, but I didn't try hard enough. Uh, it came with um, I bought one of their um, pod recording systems for my laptop. Right. But I I think at some point I probably dive into it just to get in touch with the software. I'm. You know, I'm with you, Nick. It's it's difficult to learn a new interface. I mean, there's there's always that learning curve. But for instance, like the jump from Cubase SX3 to Cubase 4, uh, the interface isn't isn't uh, markedly different, with the exception of the introduction of Media Bay, which is sort of a, a a media organization tool, a databasing tool, which a lot of programs seem to be adding to their to their UIs these days and it takes a little while to get used to it to integrate all of your audio all of your um, your other programs your plugins and whatnot into the system but once you do it makes the workflow better so there's sort of a hump to get over and then and then it's uh, it's faster working with the with the new software than it was working with the old. So I'm I'm all for innovations in, in user interface if they're if they're well implemented. There seem to be a lot of inroads in that certainly in hardware at the moment so uh not only have we got the Dexter in for review, we've also got uh, the Yamaha Tenori on, which is, you know, again, a sort of innovation in terms of interface um, within hardware. Yeah. So, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm just sort of finding I'm having to learn different ways of doing the same thing, I suppose. The other consideration for me is when I, when I was working on a Mac, um, for years I had been using, um, well, I'd used several sequencers, but I was, I was using Opcode Vision and um, Digital Performer. But I, I bailed out of using Motu software because their interface for me was very difficult to navigate. I'm partially, I'm yeah. partially sighted, so navigating that, that interface was, was extremely difficult because there's a lot of very small text, um, strange color on color combinations and a ton of nested windows and, and sub menus and, and this and that that made working with that program an absolute nightmare. And I've I've heard from you know from some sighted people that they feel that way. And that's not to say you know that I mean Motu software was was excellent. There's cer- there's certain things that I think it does uh, it's best in class. Working with sound to picture, it's still I think one of the best solutions out there. But it's it's extremely difficult user interface to get around. So. Right. Dave, I mean, you're you, you know you design software, so I mean, do you try and keep it as simple as possible for for reasons, or you know, what, how how do you approach that? Well, obviously, a lot of our stuff is dictated to by the originals, but with things like the Mini Monster, we we really wanted to keep everything on the same um, GUI, as it were, so there weren't multiple pages. I just like the immediacy of stuff like that. I mean, do you think it would be uh, a diff- a difficult leap to to move to a single window interface, or do you think you welcome it? It's going to be interesting. The best rumour I heard was that um, 
Logic had hooked up with Traction to create the new Logic, which was going to be called Tragic. Well, okay. Well, that's a, that's a good one. Thanks for bringing that one in. That sounds um, that sounds like it could be quite a, an interesting one to watch. And so, Hans, uh, you hear that an announcement should be imminent. I mean, sometime in you know the next month, two months. You, you think? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. Well, well, time will tell um, as to whether that is the case. Um, obviously, um, if Apple have been listening to this podcast, they'll probably have to change all their PR plans and, you know, sack people and stuff. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> the new NN6 music production synthesizer from Codename Mimo. The 61 note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation, real time audio control, USB connectivity, and computer integration. Bundled with QS LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create, produce, perform with the affordable and versatile NN6 music production synthesizer from Yamaha www.mm6music.co.uk That was an ad there for Yamaha UK. They'd like to draw your attention to the MM6 Minimo synthesizer, a great-sounding engine in a very low price package. And incidentally, we now have a winner for the podcast 50th episode. Uh, The winner is Juho Korhonen from Finland, and he says, I'm very happy to hear this news and will gladly accept the synth. So congratulations, Juho. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, we'll be sending your prize off to you very shortly. SonicState.com there was another piece of news which I thought was quite interesting, which was the first Cordio Quad Notebook, which is from uh, Extreme Notebooks, and they're going to be the first people who offer the new two Intel Core 2 Quad processor in their Extreme 917V notebook. And I thought, well, you know, obviously this is going to be on the PC side. It can't be that long before Macs kind of maybe go in that direction. So we're going to kind of see another raising of the, of the, the notebook game. And that being the case... Why would you want to use a desktop anymore? I find that I still use my desktop a, a lot more than the laptop. A, because I bought the MacBook Pro, uh, you know, the kind of first generation, so it had limited hard drive space, and I know I can get external drives, but it's really for that reason alone that I still go back to the, you know, the big desktop with all the drives hanging off of it and all the rest of it. Because actually, no matter how lean you try and be when you're carting stuff around, you always need, oh, just this and just another thing and just another thing. So I end up lugging around, you know, almost as much. Hans, are you a laptop guy or are you still work, are you work on desktop stuff as well? And what, what would you prefer to do? Well, I use both. Um, I just moved away from the G5, which was the desktop model, to using the iMac. But I suppose it's not going to last very long because I think Apple doesn't build these iMacs for professional use because it, after a while, I, get, I think it gets really hot. And I heard stories that some of the condensers on the board just go bang when they get too hot. I think the hardware, the, the, the iMac hardware and also the MacBooks, Maybe not the MacBook Pro is not really built to work at 95% power all the time. I think that's still for me a reason to still look at desktop machines is just because they're more sturdy, they take more beating. And if audio still uses a lot, a lot, a lot of energy and doing my video podcast on the iMac, it's really sort of, ooh, struggling. Is Is this a new iMac, Hans? Uh, no, the, the the last one before the new one. <laughs> ah, okay. So the one yeah. with not the one with the t- 
terrible glossy screen, which <laughs> I, I took a look at it yesterday, and it just, I was just looking at myself because it's so much, so glossy. So shiny. You see some, yeah, so shiny. It's, I, don't, I hate That's that all right, mate. You, you catch a couple of colds, you know, have a sniffle, it soon loses its sheen. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, would you rather have a laptop, or does it mean you might be able to take more work home with you, and that maybe not what you want? Um, I love my laptop, and I like... I like its glossy screen too, um, and <laughs> and uh, it it's nice to work there. I think the best argument for using desktop computers in digital audio is the slot is the slot thing, where you can actually add cards and change the way your system is configured and use uh, use some really nice hardware with it uh, attached to those cards, but. I, it, there's no reason why you can't get a lot of great work done on a laptop, and it's a wonderful thing that we get to run around with laptops and small interfaces and do the kind of work we do. Um, so I'm I'm not I'm in, I'm fine with all of it. <laughs> I'm glad I have a desktop for my for my uh, significant you know for my more significant work in the studio. I'm, right. I, and I as uh, relates also, I I love looking at a huge screen. Now I know you can hook up a pretty big screen to a laptop, but our new uh, 30-inch monitor at the studio is totally romancing me, and uh, I don't think most laptops will support those kinds of resolutions. Yeah, no, I, you're right. What's the resolution on it, then? It's like, I don't know, 3,000-something by... It's, it's a lot. <laughs> okay. It's well, huge. The MacBook Pro 17-inch comes with a 1920 times 1,200? So I suppose, yeah, I suppose that is a good point. I mean, the thing about the notebooks is obviously that you're not going to have the same screen real estate available to you, and that, that is a very and, valid point. And there's another argument against, uh, I think a very important argument against using a notebook is that um, if you have a desktop machine, a PC desktop machine, and if anything is broken, you know, you just go into the next store and get a new uh, power supply or a new main board or upgrade your processor, but you can't do that on a laptop. You know, once the screen is broken or anything goes wrong, usually, you know, you have to get the whole thing fixed, which is probably more expensive than getting a new one. And that's why I think a desktop machine is still an important uh, option because it's so easy to uh, get it repaired or upgraded. Yeah, I think... Let's face it as well, desktop machines are way, way cheaper. I mean, in our house, we've got four laptops... We've got two desktop machines as well. The desktop machines were like two hundred pounds each, including the screens and all that sort of stuff. Whereas yeah. the laptops are in nearly, you know, thousands or whatever, aren't they? So the only time I use my desktop machine is when my children are here and they want to use a computer, because yeah. I can just sit them on that and go right off you go, and they're not going to break anything. Notebooks at kids and soft drinks is um, is something that <laughs> that kind of makes me makes me go pale. Those of you last week might have heard my brief, uh, who were listening last week might have heard my brief rant about uh, OS 10.4.10, which seemed to break an awful lot of things. I did actually finally manage to get the Firewire drivers to work again, which one of the things it did break was the Firewire um, capability for my Mackie Onyx. Uh, And it also broke the Behringer FC202 and presumably a few other bits and pieces. But there was a workaround. Uh, It involved going, signing up, getting an, uh, an SDK, which is a developer's kit, which meant you could install just the Firewire part back, and now it works again, which is kind of cool. But there are lots of other things that don't work. Like I had some old uh, SSL um, plugins in my uh, audio units folder, and that broke logic. 
And there just seem to be an awful catalogue of things that are, are broken. The concept of actually doing another major upgrade is not as exciting as it used to be. Is there anything in operating system upgrade that anyone wants? I mean, it doesn't seem that they kind of have the same desirability as perhaps they used to. Well, it's kind of easy to understand why you'd feel that way right now when you've got Vista out there, which a lot of people are saying is uh, a complete CPU and memory hog and offers a lot of catch-up features to OS X that don't quite work as smoothly as usual. And then uh, you've got Apple, who've released uh, 10.4.10, which is, if you want to go up in forums, you can find no shortage of people willing to rant endlessly about the various shortcomings and the things that it's caused to not work that worked previously. I run 10.4.10 on the laptop and the desktop that are in front of me right now, and they, it seems to work fine, but I don't run Pro Tools on either of these machines. At uh, the studio, I do run Pro Tools, and they, uh, I stay with what DigiDesign qualifies. When DigiDesign tells me to change that OS, I do. But until they do, I've learned not to because it just it, – whatever the alleged improvement, uh, breaking my professional life is yeah. not an acceptable trade-off. No, totally agree. Um, what about you, PJ? I mean, is there? I mean, you, presumably, you, are you running XP or are you? Um... Yeah, I'm. I'm running XP. I'm. I have not moved to Vista yet, and I. I won't for quite a bit. You know, for quite some time to come, because I have everything working smoothly between. Um, you know, per the lap, per the last topic, my laptop and my desktop, and I. I can't afford to to make an OS migration at this point and have everything fall apart. No. Do you allow it? Do you allow it to do all of the um, updates when it sort of tells no. you you've got to update three hundred and fifty different things and then spends like hours no. shutting itself down? No, absolutely so, not. As a matter of fact, I was I was very reluctant to go to Service Pack two for a while. But so how do you know how good your internet security is then? <clears throat> well, I've got uh, three different products running and i have an it an it friend that assures me that they're the best things going so i i hope my internet security is is excellent uh they seem to do a good job of detecting and removing threats i never made the migration on the mac over to os 10 the i i switched from the mac to the pc a couple of years ago now um middle four early bot five i think and um, I was still running 9.2.2 on the Mac at that point, uh, simply for the very same reason. I, I just I couldn't bear the thought of having to rebuild my entire system, upgrade all my plugins, um, try to suss it all out while attempting to remain an audio professional. It just it seemed like that was well, a whole other career choice. I have to say, unless you'd bought a much faster computer, you wouldn't have been able to work because I had a or I have a G4 500 upstairs, which I run OS 9 on if I want to do music, because if I run OS 10 on it, I can only record about three tracks of audio before it grinds to a halt. And I can record probably 40 tracks of audio on it using OS 9 and Logic 4 point whatever it was, 4.8. So, I mean, I think that these all these operating systems are memory-hungry, processor-hungry, and... Of, you know, it gets to the point where your machine becomes useless with the new operating system and you can only run the older operating systems on it. Then I guess they stop supporting them at some point as well and then you're, you're vulnerable if you connect the thing to the internet. So, Dave, I mean, you're obviously at the pointy end of this because you're developing. I mean, do you 
have to run sort of cutting you have a sort of ring fenced kind of machine that is running sort of bleeding edge updates to see if everything's going or do you try and just sort of ignore and ignore it and hope it will go away or get fixed (laughs) (laughs) uh no we have to we have to go with the latest greatest all singing all dancing i mean it's just part of the job and i find it absolutely infuriating as somebody who you know creates music as well and also uh, works with bands various bands and they want to make the update and some of them make it in advance and i mean richard's ethic is absolutely the safest way you know just stay with what works until it's absolutely ratified by everybody else because otherwise if you do it for a living you are going to run into trouble i mean i have to say that uh, you know microsoft seems to be pretty hot on making everything as backwards compatible as possible and uh, unfortunately apple aren't and that you know that could be good or could be bad depending on your point of view but um it can cause problems if you do it for a job be careful hans being a kind of a working musician and content producer and also with the um the digital musician stuff you have kind of to deal with both sides of it well i think it's a two-sided story on one hand um obviously uh, never touch your running system and i think if i would be still be an audio professional and doing my uh, records releases every week i think i would be very reluctant uh, to even change anything in my setup because usually the improvements the, the workflow improvements and the performance improvements are usually far too little to um to make up for the yeah. the problems that you might occur but in my current situation where I'm, you know we're developing software for the internet and i'm reviewing new stuff i'm forced to go with the latest and greatest all the time fortunately i don't have to do much on the windows side any longer because i think vista is a system that will eventually turn the computer into something that microsoft will control and not the user and i'm really not a fan of that but is there anything in the the leopard release that is going to be something that you know anybody wants time machine the time machine the time machine when people sort of say all you got to do is roll back and I think, how do you roll back on a Mac? You have to go back to your last backup and then update from there, don't you? It's not a very, it's very difficult to do that. So that, that would be a good thing, I suppose. Is that what Time Machine does? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm interested in Time Machine as well. It looks fantastic. That said, I'm always interested when a product is sold against its own reliability. It, it works in the extended warranty business like that. It works uh, in quite a few retail areas like that. And... Now, interestingly, Mac has to go out and say, well, just in case everything goes, uh, as you guys say, pear-shaped, uh, we've got this wonderful feature where you can just go back like a day or two and continue. And uh, it's all very you know, interesting to me, and I'm, I'm glad for it, and I'm looking forward to receiving it. But at the same time, I'm interested in the fact that companies sell against their own reliability at times. Yeah, but Rich, isn't that the case with software in general? I mean, when you look at the licenses that come with software, it it basically says this software doesn't have to work in any way other than the way it does. It's like the brakes might be out on this car, the, the the drive system might be out on the car, but... You know, we'll probably add that in a in a feature in the in in the future. So if you need to stop, just uh, you know, at thirty miles an hour, just open the door and tuck and roll. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, they do. They basically say, if we screw your whole life up, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Yeah, 
Mm. Yeah. Well, I can't disagree with any of that. And let me also say how intrepid it is of you as a partially sighted person to actually read those things. (laughs) 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 I have to turn the resolution way down on my monitor in order to do it. That's for sure. Software, I mean, we could and probably will continue to go on about this, but um, yeah, it doesn't seem like any great operating system upgrades that are going to make me kind of think, woohoo, I really must do that. So uh, I think I'm going to stick where I am for the time being until, say, certainly Leopard, which is one that I work with, works, has been working for a long time. Okay, well, uh, there's one more item that I wanted to talk about, and that was uh, we found on uh, Create Digital Music, Peter Kern posted uh, something which was Jazz Mutant have been selected by Seagraph as uh, the Emerging Technologies Committee to demo a new prototype device for digital imaging involving multi-touch control, which is essentially a, a multi-touch tablet laptop. And there's a video on YouTube which demo, demos some basic pinch and pull stuff. And it's kind of, it's, it, it's obviously they're going in at the sort of below the Microsoft table and Jeff Han um, multi-touch stuff. And I wondered um, whether anybody had a chance to use a touchscreen and whether there were sort of, it was going to be a good thing or whether, you know, cause I was wondering whether there were sort of RSI implications that, you know, using your thumbs in a certain way and, you know, all of that stuff, is it likely to be any good or was it, would it be, would you rather just stick with a mouse? You know, for, um, <clears throat> for art, like it, it, the way that people at SciGraph would use, would use, um, a touch screen is for 3d modeling and, and two dimensional animation and, and, and such and such. And, uh, in my other life, I do some graphic art work, um, you know, professionally. And I have, uh, I have a Wacom tablet, which okay. uses a, st- a stylus, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a fantastic way to work. And Wacom has released, and it's several years out now, um, an actual monitor on which you can use its stylus and its mouse. So that's sort of the precursor to this sort of multi-touch technology. And I, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. You know, it, it's entirely changed the way that I work. Um, you know, being being partially sighted, but also being a visually a visual artist, there was only a certain level of detail I could achieve in natural media. Uh, before I had to bring out magnifying glasses to sure. be able to do, you know, to do fine detail. But on the computer, with the multi-touch situation, it's extremely natural to be able to zoom into just minute detail and to manipulate that. And to be able to do it in multi-touch, I think, would be brilliant. Well, the one thing that I've been finding with Dexter is um, there are some great advances. There's some really nifty ways of using multi-touch. I like for, certainly for, with, for EQ, controlling EQs, it's fabulous because you can you can start using an EQ more like an actual analog filter with multiple points mm. of resonance and what have you. And you I mean, oh, Rich, Hilton, I mean, you're kind of working with sound a lot. Do you think, do you sometimes wish you could sort of use your hands in a more figurative way to be able to actually manipulate sound? I confess to a fundamental resistance to touching my screen. I've spent <laughs> so many years not touching it and encouraging others not to touch it. And I'm so used to not touching it that I just can't bring myself to get used to the idea of reaching forward, sticking my greasy finger on that thing and moving it around. It just doesn't appeal to me. And in particular, where it is, in fact, most effective, which I think is in public commerce situations like the ATM machine at your bank or something like that, I'm almost equally horrified uh, Perhaps this is the germaphobe in me uh, at the notion of walking up and touching those things. It just, it, it, it's you've you've hit on a personal issue here. It has nothing to do with my personal life. But uh, no, I don't want to touch any of that crap. 
<laughs> I think you're the guy with the razor blade. When you sent me this article, I looked at it and I thought, oh, that looks quite interesting. Um, and have been interested in this every time you send these features through. The analogy I have is that in maybe 1987, I walked into a, a music store in the part of London I lived in, Muswell Hill. And this chap called Bernard sat me down and he showed me this thing on an Atari called Sound Design, Sound Designer 2, I think. Yes. And he edited all this audio on it on, a, on an Atari ST with a 20 gigabyte hard drive. And he was cutting this audio up and he basically rearranged and remixed the tune in front of my very eyes without using a razor blade or tape. And lots of guys then said, basically said, you know, it'll never catch on. And here we are with garage band in our computers and all this sort of stuff. And I think it's so absolutely in its infancy that we've no idea where it's going. And I'm, I'm following it every step of the way because I think it's, it's going to be something really big, not maybe now, not maybe in five years' time, but certainly in 10, 15, 20 years' time. Maybe we won't be using keyboards or mouses at all. Meese. You know, in 20 years' time, I'll be in my 60s. I'll probably be sitting there going, I'm not going to touch that screen. <laughs> <laughs> Hans, I suspect you might have an opinion. Well, um, touch screen, maybe. I haven't tried it, um, but I'm still a big controller fan. So I um, really like using the Mackie control and this sort of stuff for some stuff. I work on both. I do a little bit on the screen, and then I use the, the Mackies side-by-side. And I think uh, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's more intuitive and faster to at least have something that mimics a mixing board to do basic things like soloing tracks, muting tracks, uh, play, stop, rewind. Yeah, sort of. so certainly with Dexter anyway, they, it, it encourages people to think in other ways of how to get around. Say, if you've got a large arrangement with, say, 64 or so audio objects, you know, and one of them soloed. Dexter can find that quite quickly, and that's that's where I find it exciting because it's encouraging new ways of approaching the management of all this stuff that we kind of need that we create. Oh well, I'm waiting for three-dimensional internet as well. I've been following that with some enthusiasm, and I'm waiting for somebody to really implement that properly so that in. Well, like the Jurassic Park kind of data navigation that the little girl does, you know, to get around and find a way into databases and stuff. Yeah, I guess. Maybe more sophisticated and, you know, what it, with, with what we have now. Mm. But, yeah. But music software will probably end up working the same way as well. If everything goes in that direction, there's, you know, there is a whole dimension that we've ignored up until now, and we now have the processing power to start to deal with that. So, Well, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting point. I'm looking forward mm. to it. Maybe Logic has got a one-window, three-dimensional interface coming that we don't know about, Hans, eh? <laughs> Maybe. Well, we'll see. So, um, thank you very much, uh, Non-Eric, in Berlin, for joining us this week, and especially for your uh, little extra snippet about Logic. You're welcome. And don't forget, if you want to see some of what Hans is up to, you can have a look at uh, musotalk.de, where he's got some great stuff on there. Um, most notably, the Blofeld uh, Waldorf a piece is, is well worth looking at. Even if you can't speak German, you can hear what it sounds like. And uh, also, digitalmusician.net, which is kind of the day job. Absolutely. And thank you, Mark Tinley, in, uh, Hunting in Huntingdon in the UK. Um, thank you very much for joining us this week. You're very welcome. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis also. Um, thank you for joining us this sunny morning. Uh, thank you so much, Nick. It's always a pleasure. 
And Rich Hilton in sunny Connecticut, um, also in the US. Thank you. Lovely to be with you, gentlemen, once again. Thank I you. I hope you both have wonderful days. Um, ours is, well, we're kind of more than halfway through ours. Thank you very much, Dave Spears, for joining us, G4 Software. And uh, you are about to put your analog string machine um, into Goldmaster and into production. So we wish you very well with that. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week. Um, just to let you know, uh, I think we're going to be taking a break next week. Uh, I'm going to get a couple of days away, so uh, I won't be able to do the podcast. I'll be out of internet connection. So uh, look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, folks, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Any MP3s or comments or anything that you want to talk to us about, be happy to accept them. Or you can Skype us. Our handle is Sonic Talk, and there's an answer phone there, so just leave a message, shout out, whatever you want to say, no problem. Uh, also, if you're in the US, uh, we've got a Skype in number, which is 312-376-8089. That's 312-376-8089. And in the UK, we have a London number, which also hooks up to the Skype number, which is 020 seven eight seven oh eight six one six remember dial your country codes if you're outside of any of those places that's it thanks for listening sonic states what's called